Elizabeth Barrett is a wife, mother, grandmother, licensed marriage and family therapist, educator, eavesdropper, and emotion worker, and she uses all of these skills to address the subjects that we're all grappling with in this conversation with the reluctant therapist. Happy Tuesday to you, Elizabeth. Happy Tuesday, Brad. And uh, where in the great wide world of thoughts and Mm -hmm. emotions are we heading to today? Well, I want to say, Brad, that I'm happy to be here sitting in the studio uh, because my husband and I have come out of our first experience with COVID. And it's done a lot for our relationship to go through that. (laughs) But two things. One, we were feeling far too righteous because we'd gone three plus years and never gotten sick. So we thought we were, you know, the mighty immune couple. Mm -hmm. And so to be struck down was humbling, uh, to say the least. And I was happy that I didn't infect or kill anyone else in my family, which was a relief. Just yeah. my husband. but the, So the first few days, I, I went down first, and he was, you know, helpful, and they had soup and taking care of me, and everything was, you know, working out. The recovery was pretty quick. And then he went down, and so now we were both kind of struggling, and then it kind of puts the relationship to the test. It's like, I don't have the energy to take care of you right now, and so you're going to have to – but, of course, he had just spent three days taking care of me, so I had to rally. But it, it was interesting, you know, after we've been together for – 43 years and that is the first time we've ever both crashed at the same time and had to kind of work our way through it um so it it was a reminder that you know relationships are always in flux in some ways that you change and grow together and go through different experiences different levels of uh, experiences and then kind of coming out that other side and so this week now that we're both feeling you know better mostly back to it better. Um, there's a lot of lovey-doveyness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, oh, yeah. There's Been a lot. There. Of, Done that. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad that we're back and feeling so much better. And, you know, let's go do some fun things <laughs> together. Because it was almost a wake-up call of how boring we had been for the last few months. You know, I tend to get into my routine with school and just life and hanging with the grandkids. And so all of a sudden, he's like, let's go away for three days together. We should have a little, you know, getaway before the Christmas rush. And let's stay let's go out tonight instead of just watching TV. And I'm like, oh, a little COVID brings the love back. It, it can. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it for everyone, but, but it was, uh, that was kind of the interesting process. Is, I, I, and I'm, I'm painting a little too nice of a picture because there was some grumpiness. And, of course, you don't look your best. And, I, and <laughs> if I had no vanity, I would have photographed us about three days into it. How, like, would anyone want to be with either one of these people <laughs> ever? Um, so that, that's that's tough because you're looking at each other thinking I don't really want to be around you and <laughs> you need to change those pajama bottoms because I can't see them one more day wearing that again eh? <laughs> eh? <laughs> uh, so so there were the moments but the other side has been this last week we're just feeling kind of this renewed sense of romance after going through that so that brings me to kind of today and this opportunity to talk about couples therapy which um it's something that we've never really directly talked about on the show. I talk about, you know, therapy all the time and different modalities and how people work together. But I dance lightly around couples therapy for a couple reasons. One, it's considered the therapy killer, the therapist killer 
of all therapies that those therapists who delve into the depths of couples therapy generally are the most wounded of all therapists (laughs) because you're stepping into a dance and a place that is really unique to that couple. And generally, they're going to drag you into whatever their strange dance is. And for therapists, that can be really challenging. And so I admire any therapist that can do that work successfully. It is tough. And the other part is that people who need therapy are generally the last ones who go to get it. And that a lot of those highly functioning couples who probably could work things out on their own end up in therapy, which is beneficial. But by the time couples that really needed therapy about five years ago come into therapy, they are already done. Like they've either emotionally disconnected from each other or they've, you know, even physically disconnected from each other. And so then they come into therapy and it's already kind of broken and they're expecting the therapist to fix it. And when it doesn't work, then the response is, well, see, therapy doesn't work. It's like, here, this is really irrevocably broken. I'm going to give it to you. Do do something with it. Do something with that. So so it's a tough field. But I happened to find a licensed marriage and family therapist who is also the mom of our intern, Merit, uh, who does couples therapy and has generously uh, volunteered to come in and talk about her experiences working with couples and what that looks like and what are some of the common issues or struggles that couples tend to have. And so that's where we're going to go today. We're going to do a little couples therapy 101 and we're going to open up the phone lines. So if you're feeling so brave and want to share a story or a struggle that you're experiencing, we have the expert here in the studio. So our number is 805-781-3875. Put that down somewhere so you can grab it when you need it. Um, we are going to be chatting a little bit, open up the phone lines, answer some questions. I think that's the plan. So you can be a part of the conversation by calling in, but you can also reach me after the show by sending an email to elizabeth at thereluctanttherapist.com. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. I think I have a couple pictures up today. One of my honey and I in the snow in Montana. Not Uh, in the pajamas? No (laughs) pajamas. The pajamas are going to be burned, Brad. Let's be honest. (laughs) No one will see those pajamas again. Um, And you can leave me a message on Facebook or on Instagram. You can listen to previous shows by visiting kcbx.org. And you can podcast our show by going wherever it is you look for podcasts. Search A Conversation with a Reluctant Therapist. Hit subscribe. And if you leave us a review, that also helps other people to find the show. So that's all the ways that you can be involved. We're going to take a quick break, come back, and start our conversation with Ashley Taggart. You are listening to Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. If I ever leave you, baby, you can say I told you so. I hurt myself as well Now is there any way For a man to carry on Do you think I want my loved one gone Said I love you More than you ever know 
I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. And my guest today is Ashley Taggart. Hi, Ashley. Hi, it's so nice to be here. I'm so glad that you were willing to come in and talk about your experience and your work. Thank you for having me. Uh, So before we jump into the marriage and family therapist Mm -hmm. aspect of your life, I'm always curious what draws people into this field to do this work. So maybe you could give us a little background in your story. Yeah, and probably like most people, I have a bit of a circuitous route to getting to where I am today. But I started off actually as a, I studied civil engineering in undergrad, which was, yeah, very different than couples therapy. Um, And from there, graduated, knew it really wasn't a good fit and and thought I would get into something that was maybe a little bit closer aligned with my interests. So I I went into finance. Okay. um, And I did that working in uh, wealth management kind of throughout my 20s. So for any of your listeners who maybe are like, you know, trying to figure out or what they want to do, you don't have to have it all figured out. Most of us don't <laughs> early on. So no. if you're feeling that pressure, for sure. um, yeah, I, I certainly did not have it figured out. But kind of through my own process of being in therapy, I I realized that um, this this is something that I, I think I could really do and that I, I really love. And of course, I had a lot of fears about what it would mean to um, you know, become a therapist because mm-hmm. the all the misconceptions. Well, you know, the the fears about maybe you know not being able to make a living and um, and it really wasn't something I never saw myself doing when I was younger. But I had such a powerful experience, just you know, in in my own process that I I realized I was like, you know, I think I think I can do this. So, how old were you? At the time? Were you married? Did you yeah, have kids? So, Where were you on your? You know, I was kind. Of, I was definitely struggling, sort of through my mid to late twenties, with <laughs> like I just don't know that this is really the path for me, and I don't I don't see myself like being in you know a corporate culture and raising a family, and I just I wasn't seeing the, the vision wasn't there for mm-hmm. me. Um, and then and around that time, I did meet my now husband. Um, but, you know, it was, we were just really just kind of trying to figure it out and what, when it would make sense. And so um, I ended up going back to school right after we got married. So that was, you know, back in 2001, right before we got pregnant with Merritt. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was it, was it was an exciting time. Lots of big changes, yes. lots of stress. Yeah. Um, but I'd never questioned, like, as, as, from the my first class at graduate school, I was, I was like, this is this is where I'm meant to be. And I've, I've felt that every step of the way. Not to say that every everything I've done, you know, <laughs> in my career is, is the best fit. But um, now being a, a couples therapist now um, is really, is, I've, I've learned, because I didn't start off doing couples therapy. I actually... Um, had some pretty bad experiences <laughs> early on where I said, I'm never going to work with couples. There's no way this you is just had like the, what you were saying. Yeah. yeah. Therapist killer experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it really can go from zero to 60 and mm-hmm. just right before your eyes and be pretty, you can feel pretty bad, you know, about kind of mm-hmm. not being able to support a couple when they're in that, that, that much distress. So, For sure. um, but once you get the training and you, you know, you kind of tap into the right resources and you get the practice and the supervision and all that, then it, then it can, it's actually really fun. I mean, I just, I find the work so invigorating it, it, to me, actually like doing individual therapy now feels a lot slower and, um, it's, I, I, I enjoy it, but it's, it's just not my jam the way couple therapy is. So how did you, when you finished grad school and did your internship hours, so for those who don't know, you do two years of your master's program, and then you have to earn 3,000 supervised hours Mm -hmm. working under someone else's license, Mm -hmm. and then with different 
groups? Did you do clinic work? Did you do individual work? Where, so where did you start I with? did a couple different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did work in a few outpatient community centers, and then eventually I went and I started working for the county as a, it was a paid position doing in a wraparound program, working with the highest risk kids mm-hmm. and parents and families in Santa Clara County. So it was basically the kids that um, they're we're really trying to keep out of residential treatment, mm-hmm. um, kids who are in foster care. But so wraparound is, is a service that kind of supports the, the whole family with a lot of services, but ideally living, you know, in a home setting. So they're not in a, in a group home or a residential program. So um, that must have been tough. It was really tough. Especially because yeah. you had young kids at the time. It was really t- tough. Yeah. yeah, it was it was very demanding, long hours, you know, on call. I remember carrying a pager all the time. Sometimes you'd be like on call all, all weekend. Because so nothing was, happens at two in the afternoon. Exactly. It's yeah, it's all two, two in the morning. morning. Yeah, exactly. yeah. But it was great experience. I mean, I just I learned so much in that position. So, um, yeah, it, it, it taught me a lot, a lot about you know, family systems and really about really severe trauma and addiction and um, just, you know, what people do to survive. And um, but it was that eventually um, I I actually also started uh, my private practice as an intern because you you can do that working under someone else's um, license. So I was doing I was working for the county as well as having, you know, small private practice on the side. And then once I got all my hours, yeah, then I went full-time private practice in 2010. So it took me a while to get yeah. all those hours, you know, raising kids and it does take a while. having babies. And, yeah. yeah. And so when you finish in your private practice, what did you focus on initially and how did you make that change or discover that you had this niche? Because most therapists aren't just general practitioners. Like everyone has yeah. one area that they tend to do more successfully. So how did you – what was your progression? Yeah, so um, – I wasn't really sure. I, I didn't really know, you know, what, what direction I wanted to go in, but I did know that, okay, I have this experience working with these really high-risk families and and individuals. And so early on, I, I started focusing on um, working with people that had, you know, pretty severe mental health issues. And um, I actually got involved with a, you know, a, a few very kind of intensive um client situations, family situations that, that were very time-consuming. Um, and it was, again, great experience. But I, through that process, I, I've had a lot of um, experiences of just negative discovery, like realizing, like, okay, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, I can do this, but I'm not sure this is really what I want to do. Right. I think I need to keep looking. So I did that for a few years. And then um, and I was also seeing some individuals in my in my practice just um, – where I was living down on the peninsula and or up on the peninsula in Northern California, um, in the Bay Area, and so there was a, there are a lot of um, you know Silicon Valley, a lot of tech workers. So that that tended to be you know the types of people that I was seeing, um, young professionals, and um, and from that that's it, it's morphed into um, working with more couples in that that area. So. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and my guest today is Ashley Taggart, a licensed marriage and family therapist who has found her way specializing in couples work. And so when you are working with couples, how do they generally present to you? Is it a phone call from Mm. one person that I need to see you or... Mm. How have you experienced yeah. the couples finding you? Well, like you said, you know, most most couples, and you know, including myself, I mean, I remember thinking like, oh, 
we're never going to need therapy. And it's there's there's it's hard to pick up the phone or send mm-hmm. the email or, or make that, you know, to acknowledge like we're really in this place that we, we really need help. We're stuck, right? Mm-hmm. So many couples, I think, think that they should be able to figure their way out of it, and especially with the, the clientele that I work with, a lot of, you know, highly educated um, people are who, who think, you know, I know how to solve problems. Mm-hmm. I can do this. And then, but they find themselves having this, you know, kind of the, um, same repetitive conflict or um, disagreement and not having any success getting out of it. And so usually when couples are making that, they've usually been, been in that for a while. I mean, sometimes I'll get couples that are, you know, being really proactive and saying, we just want to, you know, we want to get on top of some of these patterns. And, you know, the, the conflict really hasn't set in as much, but, or the pattern hasn't set in as much. But usually when people are making that call, it's, you know, one partner is usually reaching out and saying, we need help. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're really stuck and we're just, we're not having any luck getting ourselves out of it. So. And so I'm wondering what the common themes are that gets couples stuck? Well, there's the topics, the topic themes that will bring them in, right? Which are the big four, which are sex, finances, parenting, in-laws. Those are tend to be like the topics that, that there will be a lot of conflict around. But it's really, that's just the content. That's a jumping off point. And that, that's what helps us get deeper into like the, the actual emotional cycle that's taking place between two people. So um, they might be having that, you know, a conflict around finances over and over and over again. But it's really when we start, you know, getting into the work, we see that it's, it's much more about these deeper core uh, needs that aren't being met. Mm-hmm. Right. That's interesting because I have found that when couples' sex life is good, none of the other problems matter, that that intimacy tends to be the real um, litmus test of that health or strength of the relationship. Well, it's a really important aspect of our bonding, right? Mm-hmm. And so when that when it is going well, yeah, it, it absolutely enhances the overall level of connection. The problem is, is when there are, you know, when, when our sense of safety or our, when we feel like our needs are not being met in, in our relationship, then the last thing people feel like doing is being intimate with this person that just hurt me mm-hmm. or this person that is, you know, where I'm, I, I feel terrible about myself around this or I'm, I'm really questioning, does this person even love me? Mm-hmm. Um, it can make opening up and being, you know, intimate and vulnerable with somebody almost next to impossible. So usually, again, I, I, I'm that, that, aspect of the relationship tends to suffer as well when the emotional needs aren't are being dealt with. Yeah, and I often wonder which goes first because it, it feels like couples stop being close or intimate with each other and then everything else kind of tails along behind it. And then they come into therapy or counseling and they're complaining about finances or they're complaining about the kids or the in-laws. But rarely, because it's interesting you mentioned sex first, but that rarely comes up. One, because most therapists aren't trained in sex therapy at all. Mm -hmm. And two, couples don't recognize that it's that important. Mm -hmm. And they've let it go for so long that they've forgotten that it was even something they cared about. So I imagine part of the challenge is getting from their belief that it's about finances or the toilet seat being left up Mm -hmm. and getting down to that intimacy, shared experience, emotional. So how do you make, uh, and I imagine that we're talking a bit about emotionally focused therapy. It sounds like you're 
we're talking – we could do Go- Gottman or emotionally focused therapy. They're, I'm familiar with both, but well, it just sounds a lot like of overlap. Describe, yeah, it's mm-hmm. describing a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure which direction to go first because I think – for people who don't do this work, it might be helpful to describe Gottman's method and emotionally focused therapy and why these two methodologies or modalities tend to be the most kind successful. Gold standard. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you start off by talking about each of those differently sure. and, and what their goals are, their methods, and we'll talk about actual couples. Okay, great. Um, so the Gottman method is based on... John Gottman. Yeah, John Gottman. Um, which he and his wife branded this, their methodology called the Gottman Method. Um, And it's based on over 40 years of research looking at couples in literally in the love lab that they call it, um, Mm -hmm. that they had up at University of Washington, coding their interactions, you know, putting them in the lab and and watching them over, you know, weeks. Um, And through all that research, there were some really important things that came out of it that kind of guide the... um, the whole approach. But one of the things that the Gottmans identified was just this, the way that we turn towards one another in, in our intimate relationships, right? That this is, this is part of how we, uh, how our attachment system works is we are always making these bids for connection, whether we know it or, or don't know, it, we are, we're, we're always looking to our, our, our close other, um, you know, for, for that kind of a, connection. And when that connection isn't met or when it's missed or it's rejected, it, it hurts. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel good, right? It hits our nervous system. So that's the first thing is just that came out was just like, you know, we're, we're always making these bids for connections. And they, they talk about the masters of relationships versus the disasters of relationships. Hmm. But the, what the masters are doing differently is they're, they're making a lot of bids for connection over the course of a day. And we're not talking about like big grand thing, you know, I'm going to take you out for a fancy dinner mm-hmm. or anything. It's really like this, the small interactions, like how you greet each other in the morning, how you greet each other when at the end of the day when you come home. If some, you know, if your partner asks you a question, or you know, do you show curiosity and respond? Or is it, you know, do you, do you criticize and dismiss? Um, so the couples that really, you know, responded, that made a lot of bids and responded to one another's bids tend to, tended to do better over mm-hmm. time. Um, and then th- a couple other things that they, they talked about was just, you know, this, this idea of conflict being completely normal. A lot of us have pathologized conflict as this is bad and we need to avoid it all, mm-hmm. at all costs. And we should avoid any conversation that leads to conflict. And actually they said, no, that's, you know, that is absolutely not, uh, doesn't correlate to good outcomes. Like what, what we see is like some of the happiest couples have lots of conflicts. Mm-hmm. But what they know how to do is they know how to, to work through it. They know how to process it. They know how to repair if, they're, if, if either one gets hurt. And that makes a big difference in terms of, you know, the connection and the, the level of safety in, in the relationship. So that's one thing. I mean, a lot of couples will come in and talk about how they're just so conflict avoidant and they don't want to do anything to set their partner off. And it's, a, it's like helping them learn how to just get comfortable with this idea that, no, conflict's totally normal. You put two people together, you're going to have conflict. And we just have to help you feel more confident, have you, you know, experience more success around doing that so that it feels like, oh, okay, I can lean into having these harder conversations with my And we partner. can come out to their side. Yeah. Because what's challenging with Gottman's work is Amato, another researcher, has a whole you know, litany of information about divorce and mm-hmm. high conflict couples mm-hmm. and, 
you know, how well, low-conflict couples have divorced at the same rate as high-conflict mm-hmm. couples. But with the high-conflict couples, I think the difference between Gottman's Masters of Success is that they generally don't hang on to conflict as being that important because most of the big issues that couples have, they rarely ever solve. They just exactly. learn. Exactly. That's the other thing they didn't <laughs> talk about, and perpetual think, issues. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, that's the real difference mm-hmm. is that a lot of couples – just accept that these things are not going to agree on and they'll fight about it and then move on because it's almost like, oh, it's that again and we don't get over it and they move. Mm -hmm. But the high conflict couples that keep going after that same issue, like expecting resolution, expecting someone to give, that that seems to be different. That is different because, yeah, you bring up a great point. The the perpetual issues, which the Gottman said, you know, they're almost 69% of all the issues that any couple faces are perpetual in nature. You're never going to solve it. So don't talk about conflict resolution. Right. Talk about conflict management. How do we how do we approach this problem that keeps coming up for us in a way that actually where we can get on the same team about it? We we can recognize that this is this is one of our perpetual issues. We both have a contribution to it. But how can we approach it so that it's it's a little friendlier, right? Mm-hmm. That we we can recognize that we are on the same team. We're not enemies. We're not against each other. But there's something important that we're both trying to say to one another. And somehow, and the way we're going about it right now, we're missing mm-hmm. each other. We're we're, you know, we're we're not we're talking past one another. So that's a big part of what you know what I try to help couples do is just you know kind of identify what what are these. You both have really important things to say, but. We need to slow it down enough to actually hear one another and and really pull out like what's really, really important and relevant here, mm-hmm. right? Because if I'm just sitting here saying, all you do is, you know, you're so lazy and you don't do anything, you're not get, that's not telling you anything. All it's telling you is like, danger, danger, this person is not safe. Like, I, why would I risk having this conversation with someone who's just going to criticize me? Yeah, the Gottman stuff is so fascinating because, again, conflict is not to be totally avoided. It's also criticism is not off the table. Like you can have criticisms of your partner. It's how you present those criticisms, right? It's one thing to say it makes me feel disrespected when your underwear is always on the floor as opposed to you're so lazy. Why is your underwear always there? That with the vitriol that comes with the criticism. exactly. And so because I think that's important for couples to hear is that the idea of couples therapy is we're not trying to fix Mm-mm. all of the annoyances or conflicts or things. It's how do you learn to speak of those conflicts or to each other so that the level of love and respect remains. And 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 actually, I, I always say, you know, can can you use the conflict as a way to actually bring you closer together? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It do, conflict doesn't have to be this thing that you know causes you to. You know, it shouldn't cause irreparable, irreparable damage if it does, and that's that's a problem. Like mm-hmm. we want to talk through and process and repair it in a way that helps us feel like, oh, my partner understands me now, right? Like maybe I wasn't understanding what what he or she was trying to express earlier, but now that we've taken the time of you know we've kind of stepped into one another's shoes, it feels a lot better, right? And so then dovetail that into emotionally focused therapy, mm-hmm. which has been around for about thirty years, but I don't know if it gets as much. Uh, popular. Yeah, yeah, it's getting more. It's definitely mm-hmm. picking up. Um, but it, and there's actually a lot of great research that Sue Johnson, who's the founder of EFT, has done as well. And it really is, it's very compatible with Gottman. But um, it's 
EFT is much probably more focused on just uh, really like the, the attachment science, right? And it's much it's whereas Gottman is very much a research base, a lot of psychoeducation, interventions based, you know, a lot like of communication, a lot of communication mm-hmm. skills. We're going to, you know, we're going to teach you about the four horsemen. If mm-hmm. you are you familiar with that, oh, yes. the criticism, defensiveness, contempt, stonewalling. That's another important thing that came out of Gottman was just those are the four patterns of communication that are really strong predictors of negative outcomes. And so we want to help couples become aware of those patterns. So there's a lot of like psychoeducation and then helping them structure the conversation differently. Whereas in EFT, it's more of a bottoms-up experiential approach where we're really just like very process-oriented, very much in the moment, you know, feeling like the live emotion in in the room, in the experience. So it's not so much, you know, kind of reporting on what happened last week, but it's like what's, what's happening right now and what's coming up for you and how can we help you make sense of that emotion. So it's it's helping individuals and then couples as a system kind of, you know, understand what the emotion means, what what the signals are that they're getting from their body, how to how to send those signals to their partner in a way that they can hear, and and how do we you know help them kind of organize and make sense of all of it? Right. So Garmin has a little more of the pragmatic communication skill set piece, but emotionally focused therapy is centered on those emotions that come up and identifying our emotions and being able to recognize maybe the triggers or the source of mm-hmm. where they came from. Generally, it's not in our relationship, but it's mm-hmm. younger stuff mm-hmm. that's being triggered. Yeah. And so when a partner starts to pull away, we start to feel rejected and that chasing mechanism. The The emotions piece and learning to regulate our emotions, I think, if I understand it, it's kind of the, the central piece of emotionally mm-hmm. focused therapy is becoming able to identify and regulate the emotions and not just let the anger or the sadness or the defensiveness rule the interaction. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it. It's just mm-hmm. it's learning how to how to find more of that emotional balance within yourself and you know within the relationship. So. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and I'm with a non-reluctant couples therapist, (laughs) uh, Ashley Taggart today, licensed marriage and family therapist. And we're uh, kind of delving into the idea of couples therapy uh, around Gottman's uh, method, the Gottman method and EFT and kind of how that looks in couples work. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and come back. and We're going to dive into what some actual couple challenges look like and how they work their way through it. But you're also going to be welcome to enter the conversation. Our number is 805-781-3875. You're listening to Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. One, two. Just say I'm sorry. It's not the hardest thing to do. Just say you're wrong sometimes. And I'd believe you cause I love you Just say I'm sorry Everybody wants to be one who's right Everybody wants the last word to end the fight Every day is a new day the chance to choose Sometimes the way you win Is to say you lose Just say I'm sorry It's not the hardest thing to do Just say you're wrong sometimes And I'll believe you Cause I love you 
I could listen to that entire song, but we have work to do here today. That's just beautiful. That's Pink and Chris Stapleton. Just say I'm sorry. I'm Elizabeth Barrett, and this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. All right, so Ashley, we're, we're going to delve into a couple who is coming in for help. Give me a, a case study or, or a, sure. a vignette of a couple. So I, I have a lot of this is this is going to be sort of an uh, um, an amalgamation of a lot of different couples, but a lot of the couples I see are um, probably late thirties, early forties. They are usually two working parents, sometimes one, but usually two with one, two, or three young kids at home. So they're really in the thick of it, right? They're mm-hmm. they're working. They're just trying to trying to survive, trying to figure all the things out, oftentimes with, without a lot of support. Um, and it can be such a, you know, it, it can be a time where we have a lot of expectations of what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to feel like. And and as you and I both know, it's also a really stressful time when mm-hmm. you're, you know, raising kids and in that stage of life. So um, you, what will happen is, you know, a couple will come in and they're, like I was saying earlier, usually they've been, you know – experiencing this negative cycle for a while and it's kind of taking a toll right there's there's a lot of distance there's a lot of hostility usually um and so it's just it's really about just you know kind of meeting them where they're at understanding i always do a a really thorough assessment up front so i can really understand what this dynamic looks like from each of their different perspectives how it plays out what happens what tends to trigger it i do an individual session with each of them so i can really get into their family of origin and any trauma history and and understand you know kind of what those vulnerabilities are um and and then it's just you know i always say i'm i'm not responsible for an outcome but i am responsible for a process right so i will you know help them hopefully, you know, kind of go through a process of learning how to, um, you know, just even begin like understanding a little bit more about their their cycle and how it plays out. Um, when you talk about a cycle, what, what do you mean? Well, um, most couples, um, I, I don't think I've ever met a couple that, that doesn't have this, but have sort of this, a, a recurring or a repetitive argument, right? They feel like they've had the same type of conflict over and it can be maybe it might it might look different you know based on whatever the content is but emotionally it feels very similar you you lose it and you know you start yelling and you know i'm i'm trying so hard to keep the peace and then you just you know you say something that's so over the top and then the only thing i i feel like i can do is just leave and you know just i, I just want to get away for for a night or a day or whatever it takes just to cool off, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's just one example of like one aspect of a cycle that's that's pretty common. Um, so, it doesn't matter what what triggered that, but it's like it's that same repetitive thing over and over and over again that feels very um, familiar to most couples. And so, they can usually, when you get them to talk about, you know, what's it like when you get into that hard place they can usually describe it because they've had a lot of practice doing mm-hmm. it. So mm-hmm. so the idea is to help them begin to identify, you know, like and understand what's what's happening for for each of them in those moments. And then, you know, really with with EFT, well with both with with both approaches, really the idea is like how can we help this couple have more successful experiences in in taking risks with one another and having some of these harder conversations. And, you know, I mean couples a lot of couples are like terrified sometimes they'll just be they'll just come into the session sitting and they're just like i'm like my heart is just like you know racing and i just i don't want to be here i'm so like 
sometimes people feel like I'm, we're just like scheduling a fight, you know, because mm-hmm. we know we're going to stir, stir things up. And my, mm-hmm. my goal is to just, you know, kind of create a container, create a safe enough space where they can begin to, you know, work on self-regulation, work on, you know, uh, taking small risks in, in the therapy room around some of these conversations, it's some, some things that they maybe really want to say, but they just don't know how to say it because they're afraid it's just going to set off the next cycle, right? And I think for so many people, that fear of losing what we think we have or that fear of losing what we most cherish causes us to shut down and, and not talk about the things that we need or that make us angry or make us fearful. And then in turn, because we're not talking about it, it ends up pushing away. The relationship is kind of this irony cycle that couples get into. And the the other piece too, when when you're talking about, you know, coming to counseling to talk about something that's going to kick off being a fight, I would imagine for many couples, it's confusing how they could go from being madly in love to the point of wanting to get married and create this family out of love and enjoying each other so much. And then to have this kind of shift to feeling disconnected from each other or disappointed in the relationship or disappointed in what's happening and how to, to bridge that because, and I don't know if it's the same with your experience, but from my experience, so many couples don't recognize that it's their lifestyle that's driving the wedge into their relationship and not the actual couple interaction. Mm. And they they tend to come in wanting to fight about the toilet seat being left up or the mm-hmm. financial piece, but they're rarely willing to look at, should we both be working full-time jobs with two little kids that are going to daycare for eight hours a day and trying to pay this mortgage? Like That, to me, should be the first thing that's talked about instead of trying to heal the way the couple's talking to each other. But yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, those are it's, 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 that's a great point. And, and I think ideally we want couples to, you know, I always talk about, you know, we're, we're kind of helping you learn how to dialogue about these perpetual issues. about, mm-hmm. And ultimately, once we're – once you have these skills around kind of talking about the – the conflicts or the perpetual issues, hopefully we can get you to talking about what the vision is, mm-hmm. right? Maybe this lifestyle that you've chosen for yourself isn't serving you. Maybe it's not working. Maybe we do need to make some changes. But a lot of times couples just, you know, they find themselves feeling really stuck and and like they're unable to have those conversations because right. there's not, a, again, there's not enough trust or safety or um, security in, in their bond and and they're afraid of where it, where it could lead. So, mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, the Gottmans do talk about sort of the, the dream within the conflict, right? A lot of times there's a conflict that, that there's some like hidden dream that, that one or both partners share, but they're not really talking about the dream. They're, you know, they're talking about all this other stuff. And we want to really help them um, excavate what's, what's really important here, what really matters so that, that we can have those higher level discussions about what our future looks like, what's important to each of us, mm-hmm. where we want to get. And it's not about agreement, right? We don't necessarily have to agree, but we have to like be able to listen and hold space for one another and um, hear each other out and listen to what's important in these conflicts. Um, yeah, I think it's really hard for couples to hear maybe that they started off on this path together to create this life. And then one partner says, you know, we've gotten to this place and it's not really what I want to do anymore. And that's what's so terrifying for the other partners. Like, well, wait, this was this was our plan that we made together. And now you're stepping out of it and to recalibrate that and to get back to the essence of why the couple chose each other, I think, is a lot. Yeah, it's a big of part work. of it. Yeah, a big part of it is to hold that um 
you know, kind of remember why they came together. That's one of the things I always, like, in, in an assessment, I'm always looking for. Like, what did bring you together? Mm-hmm. What drew you together? What, what did you used to do for fun? Like, mm-hmm. like how, how do we help you kind of, like, reconnect to that, the earlier part of your relationship? When it was easy, right, the easy bonding, it's like, you know, the falling in love. It's, it's like attaching with, a, you know, a newborn child, right? It's yeah. just there's a lot of oxytocin and <laughs> uh, everything flows so easily and it's warm and cuddly. And then there's a rupture, right? There's something that gets in the way um, that causes that to feel like, wait, that didn't, that didn't feel good. And unless we empower and, you know, help couples learn how to talk about it and address it, they just oftentimes just th- those wounds get buried. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we start to move apart. My guest today is Ashley Taggart. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in couples work. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation, our number is 805-781-3875. That's 805-781-3875. This is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. And, you know, I, I think about those times just throughout the course of my life where my husband and I needed to reset or recalibrate. And I look at marriages as being multi, multi-marriages. Like that first marriage is kind of replicating what you saw growing up as a kid. You sometimes fall into these roles that feel familiar and, you know, kind of have to work it out. But that marriage usually fails. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your childhood fantasy or performative marriage. And that big rupture, I think, for most couples goes one of two ways. They either separate and that's done or they find their way through that and then mm-hmm. recreate that second marriage which is based on their reality of mm. who they are and what they want and not what they've been told to want or what their life should look like, but it becomes much more authentic to who they are. And then, you know, there's the ruptures again at different points in, in our lives. If you can recreate those marriages mm. in that mission statement, I think all marriages need to have a plan mm-hmm. and, and a goal for what they're doing. And I think a lot of, especially what you're talking about, the late 30s, early 40s couples, they, they lived out that early plan, mm-hmm. right? They did all that. They found each other. They got married. They bought a house. They had kids. They got the big jobs. And they have no plan after that. Mm-hmm. And it just feels tiring. Mm-hmm. And then they look at each other as a problem because you can't give your kids back. And God forbid we ever said we didn't love our high-paying job or our mm-hmm. wonderful house in the Bay Area. And so if all those things shouldn't be the problem, it's got to be you, my partner. Mm-hmm. And I think that psychoeducation is so important for – that's why I love narrative therapy mm-hmm. because if you can help people understand that it's the narrative, it's the story you're yeah. enacting that's killing you. Yeah, I know. I think that's a great point. And just like, yeah, the, the meaning that we assign to all of all of this um, is 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 really powerful. And being able to understand that you're actually in your relationship, you know, ideally, you and your partner are co-creating your experience, right? And you're, you're really active participants mm-hmm. in in doing that. And a lot of times, people don't feel that sense of empowerment or that sense of you know, like they feel you know maybe. Like I chose wrong, or this <laughs> I, I'm I'm you know victim of this whole situation, yes. and but it's really you know no like this is you have a role, and that's a big part of you know therapy. It's it's helping people understand like what is your contribution. That's the only thing we have control over, right? Is yeah. what we bring to the equation, and so how do how do we help? each partner understand what they're contributing and and then like get them in a conversation about what do you want it to look like how do how do you want this to be different how do you want it to feel differently between the two of you and so how do we you know help the two of you have more of those conversations so and i also like the acceptance piece cuz that's really part of the functional psychology movement is that accepting what is instead of railing against it because so many people i think get stuck because they can't accept 
what is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, I never saw myself to, you know, this this is not what I signed. I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. This is not what I signed up for. Right. right? Yeah. It wasn't supposed to be this hard or we were supposed to have more fun or yeah. I was supposed to feel more respected or have more time to myself. Right, right. A lot of it feels very millennial, not to point fingers at the generations, but there is a bit of that so much self-entitlement that I think it's challenging for couples because you have two very entitled individuals who believe like they're the most important piece of this puzzle. Yeah, it can be. That can Mm -hmm. be really challenging. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, this is, it's, it's really about, well, it's about both of you. It's about both of you, like learning how to kind of, again, like I said earlier, get on the same page, get on the same team. And, and, um, it's hard work. I say that all the time. Like this is, you know, I mean, you know, being in a long-term relationship takes a lot of hard work. It's totally worth it when you learn, you know, when you have success at it. But um, you have to be willing to kind of put in the time and the effort and take those risks and take, you know, understand yourself so that you can become the best version of yourself and for your relationship too. The best thing my husband and I ever did in our 43 years, we've done it twice, was walk away from everything we were doing. Once we took off in a Volkswagen bus, much to my parents' chagrin, with our then five-year-old daughter and just spent four months cruising wow. around. Yeah, I we rented it. our house and it was two two or three days into we both went, oh, wait, <laughs> this is what we wanted to do. The rest of it's just noise. And to be able to walk away from all those things that felt so important, you know, our jobs and our house and our friend groups, like you th- you're told that this is all so important and it's going to identify you in the world. But then to walk away and go, no, none of that matters. We just like being together and we laugh and have a great time. We came back from that and kind of rebuilt that structure. And then when we did it again, like 10, 15 years later, we took off for six months. My husband took a different job assignment. So we just got away from all these, again, the world we'd created that felt so important. But once it was just the two of us and then the girls, that all makes sense. And I, I don't know of a couples therapy model mm. <laughs> except for the olden days where they had couple retreat weekends but yeah, they, they don't st- do that oh they have they, they have, do yeah there's still a lot of couple retreats out there but yeah i love that i mean i love that you that that's how the two of you found that that was your process of kind of resetting or getting back to the basics right what's really yes. important we've had to blow it up so we've blown it up mm-hmm. three times and then brought it back yeah and you absolutely have to do that yeah so oh, sorry. so what are so what are some other actual, you know, in-process skills that couples leave, what are they doing once they leave the office to work on this relationship? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Well, I I always like to end every session with the, giving the, making sure that they have come up with some ideas of things that they're going to work on because it's this idea that the only way this dynamic is going to change Again, it's like going back to what is it that I'm contributing, and mm-hmm. how do we, so we're identifying that in session what we're both contributing, and then we're we're making requests of one another in a way that the other person can really hear and take in, and 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 we're owning what we're going to work on to to make it better. So, um, and that can so every couple is going to be different, mm-hmm. right, in terms of what they come up with, but oftentimes it's 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 you know taking small steps towards whether it's you know we just we just need to have, you know, at least half an hour to ourselves, right? We've got so much going on. It's so easy to have our time taken up with the kids and work. And, you know, the last thing we want to do at the end of the day is like sit down and talk. We just kind of retreat to our individual phones. shows or phones <laughs> or whatever, right? But we we really need to just start making the time to just be present with one another. So that it might be something like that, or it might be, you know, I'm really going to work on, 
when I get triggered, I'm going to really work on communicating using an I statement, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to I'm not going to criticize or complain. I'm not going to make this about you. I'm going to like, hey, I like you, like your example earlier. Like I feel so frustrated when you leave your mess around every mm-hmm. every day. Like is that something could you know could you help me out with that? Could you work on that? Um, so it's it's and I I really like to keep it kind of small like small steps concrete so that they can feel like they are having some success between mm-hmm. sessions um so those are just two kind of random examples it can i mean oftentimes it looks like you know just very different based on whatever couple it is that i'm working with but i would think it'd be t- tough if you have couples that have a hard i mean by the time they get into counseling they're so angry at each other that it's very tough for anyone to take any personal responsibility for their peace, I would imagine that the beginning of therapy, a lot of times they're just wanting you to witness their anger at Sometimes, each other. Yeah, a, a lot of times. Yeah, that's and and what I'll say is I'll just say you can do this at home. You mm-hmm. don't need to pay me to. You know, this is just you doing what you do at home. Like if you came to me because you want to try to do this differently, you need my support. And so sometimes I I feel like I'm a traffic cop and I have yeah. to be really. Um, you know, I have to be pretty active in the session if I really, if, if especially if it's a pretty heated or high conflict couple, just because I, I want to keep it safe, right? Mm-hmm. And I want, like, if we need to take a break, we need to take a break. That's fine, but we, what I don't want to do is kind of recreate something that's really toxic or traumatic that they experience at home. I also wonder about you know the couples who are high conflict and everything is a nitpicking argument all day long, that that becomes their dance. It's how they know themselves and each other. And there's fear for that couple to try to be anything different than just picking at each other. Yeah. Like what would it mean? What would it look like to, if, if that wasn't happening? Right. Yeah. And it's it, probably there's some kind of, you know, well, if I don't nitpick or if I don't, if I don't, Nag. So, yeah, maybe, maybe maybe that's the only connection I'm getting. I don't know. Or maybe it means I'm giving up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's what we try to kind of peel back the layers on. So. Yeah. That and, that and I think that's important too, this idea that there has to be a winner or a loser. If I stop nagging or arguing or bringing up the same complaints, you'll think that you won. And I don't want you to ever think that you uh, won. So I'm going to continue yeah. hammering this home just so you always remember I'm not happy with this. Right. Well, and if we're in that win lose dynamic again, it's, it's like that's never the space that's going to get us anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm again, I always try to kind of reset to, you know, you the two of you are on the same team. We're kind of fighting. Ideally, hopefully, we're fighting for you know a shared vision. This, you know, the, the outcome that we want. We're working towards like you know trying to make this better. Um, but if it if we have that win lose mentality or that tit for tat. It's just not going to get very far. So I really, it's it's a lot of me just really trying to slow it down. And then, but what happens is, I mean, I, I, what I'm trying to do is make, make space for them to, you know, be a little bit more vulnerable because mm-hmm. underneath that, that, the nagging or the complaining, there's fear, there's yes. real fear and longing that isn't getting expressed because there's just so many emotional blocks. I know I often wish that couples could step back or, or videotape them in the that conflict argument and be able to step back and know how you have the the translator could be standing behind and say, I'm really terrified that you don't love me in the ways that I need to be loved. Absolutely. Or I'm yeah. yelling at you right now or arguing with you right now because I want you just to hug me and hold me and tell me everything's okay. Like, I wish we could have that translator. That'd be such a great modality, wouldn't it? Well, that's a lot of, I, I, I mean, that's a lot of what I think a, a good couples therapist does is they try to take the, you know, what they're hearing and sort of reframe it un, through an attachment lens. Like really, 
you know, what this is about. This is I, I'm so afraid that, you know, I'm not good enough for you or I'm not doing enough and that you're going to leave me just like my mom left my dad or whatever, whatever that, that core wound is. Mm-hmm. But um, it often comes across as much more, you know, there's a lot more kind of people are much more armored up in the beginning. So I think also, and if you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. My guest is Ashley Taggart, licensed marriage and family therapist. I, I, I kind of fall back on, you know, that bringing the couple together, couples counseling prior to getting married. Um, I do a lot of premarital counseling. It's one of the very few counseling things I do anymore Mm -hmm. is work with couples that are getting married because that foundational work, I think, is the key for long-term success. And so few couples actually do couples counseling because they think it's therapy. And just to set the record straight, premarital counseling is not therapy. It's like a job training that you're getting Mm. before you get married. And it it goes through all of those skills you're going to need to apply when you get into this contract of your marriage. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm such a big proponent of couples creating a mission statement and having these, you know, this is what we stand for. These Mm -hmm. are the things we believe on. I've got a couple and one of my couples did the most beautiful mission statement. I I think I'm going to post for other people if they'll let me, because when you get into arguments or you get into conflict or you find yourself losing your way, you go to the mission statement, which hangs in the middle of your house. And generally, you will see one of those mission statements that you're not living up to mm-hmm. that's causing this angst. And it takes the pressure off the couple, that blaming piece, and just go, oh, wait, we are not living up to this mission yeah. statement that we created together. I love that. That's a great, a great awareness. And to have created it before you got married, it brings you a a way to get back to that place because we talked about that. For a lot of couples, it's confusing how we went from being madly in love, you know, creating this relationship to now being at odds. How did we lose that way? Right, right. That's a great, that's a great intervention. I love it. And generally, it is going back to that mission statement and having that common goal and being able to point it out. And being willing to, and I think it's another challenge in just our modern society, is that we don't place such a high value on that contract of marriage, that it's easily tossed. Many people will toss it for their career. Right. (laughs) And a lot of us don't have great role models, right? I mean, we just, we didn't see what a healthy relationship looked like, or we just don't, we just don't have a lot of great modeling, so... Yeah, and that's also in the challenges. How do you find the mentors to help mm-hmm. guide you through those tough those tough spots? Yeah, and what does and I think it's also confusing again, just in the more modern era of what when we talk about a healthy modeling relationship, you're going to get two different things because if you talk to someone who's been married thirty, forty, fifty years, sixty years, they describe what modern therapists might say is in a meshed relationship. Like those couples' favorite company is each other. Yeah. they spend all their free time together. Yeah, they're, they're very. They're into it. And younger couples today see that as being unhealthy. We need to have our own triathlon training and we have to have our own friends outside of our marriage. And we have, so the story we've told about marriage in a lot of ways sets up the problems that couples are having Mm -hmm. because they don't allow themselves to really bond and attach in ways that old school couples do. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's absolutely true. I love just being more intentional about what, what you want your relationship to look like. I think every couple can benefit from really, you know, taking a long look at that and And what that looks like to completely absorb yourself with another person and saying, I'm all in, or we seem to be half out half the time. Yeah. Yeah. How do we course correct? 
Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. All right. So in our last minute or so, if people are interested in doing couples work, can they find you? Absolutely. All yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a website, taggartrelationships.com. Um, I also have a newsletter you can sign up for if you're interested. There's an online course on communication skills as well. Um, but, yeah, always happy to help or answer any questions. And do you do um, remote then work? Are you doing – I do in-person and and virtual. Therapy. And do you do, like, intensives where couples can mm-hmm. come to you? I do, yeah. I'll, sometimes couples will, you know, come for one or two days and – I love that kind yeah. of work. Where it's you a lot really, deeper. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and again, that old model of psychotherapy, we come once a week for 50 minutes, can be okay and work. But to be able to have two or three days, which is why I love the premarital counseling, yeah. is you're doing this intensive two or three days where you're in and out of the discussion till it really gets deep. It's great. And it's really great for couples who are in a lot of distress and just really need the time. You know, mm-hmm. it can do a lot more work and if you've set aside that, that amount of time. so That's the drive from our house to Vegas. I'm just saying. <laughs> My husband can work it all out. Ashley, thanks so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. me. This is really fun. Taggart Relationships? TaggartRelationships.com. Fabulous. Yeah. And this has been a conversation with a reluctant therapist. I'm Elizabeth Barrett. You can find me at Elizabeth at TheReluctantTherapist.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and you can listen to previous shows at KCBX.org. As always, I appreciate you showing up and tuning in and supporting Central Coast Public Radio, KCBX. Except holding a room I know you got to have your rest She says come lay beside me I've been waiting since you left I'll walk.